All right, Emmaus, we're going to pick right back up with uh, what Chris was speaking about earlier and actually use a couple of the verses that, that he mentioned. And so if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a couple of different passages. We're going to start in 1 Timothy, and then we're going to go over to a book in the New Testament called Hebrews. And so it's pretty close to 1 Timothy. If you've got a hard copy in front of you or you're working out, of your phone, you should be able to, uh, to navigate to it pretty quickly. Kids, uh, one of the things you can do this morning, uh, if you would want to do this, if you have someone who is your coach, and this morning maybe you want to draw them a picture, or you could write, uh, write a note to them even, letting them know. I mean, if your coach is your parent sitting next to you, that's even better. You can write them a, write them a note. But we're talking about coaches and how that has to do with our, with our spiritual development. And so if that's something that would be helpful and you guys would want to do this morning, we want you to be able to have an opportunity uh, to do that. You guys do a great job listening to the teaching of God's Word, and we want you to be able to participate in that. Remember, if you're not into sports, but you... Maybe you've got a, a, a theater director, or maybe you have somebody who has helped you with reading and you want to re- reach out to them, uh, you can do that, do that as well. But we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy this morning, chapter 4, and I'd like to read a couple of verses before we get started, and then we're going to just jump right into uh, uh, to looking at this as a whole. I want to begin in verse 7. I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. And then I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to get started from that point. So we're in 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to read verses 7 and 8, and then we're going to jump back up to verse 1 here in just a minute. So verse 7 says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value... Godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Father, as we come to this portion of worship, as we think about the way that you have spoken to us through your word, as we think about what it means to to trust in Christ and to follow after him, God, we pray that our hearts would be open, that we wouldn't just hear this, but we would be doers of your word. And God, that we would not see this something uh, simply as something that we talk about right now and then we go and live the rest of our lives, but we know that the work that you're doing in our hearts through worship is, is meant to guide our steps, to direct us throughout the week. And so God, we give ourselves fully to you right now with our hearts and our minds and our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So we've been talking about this concept of, of coaches, and I thought about Chris being here, and so I was thinking about some of the people who have, who have coached me over the years, and you have all kinds of different personalities and all kinds of different experiences, and some of you have shared some of your own experiences with me this, this last week. Um, we had a coach uh, for a while. We got on a little bit of a winning streak. I wasn't a part of a lot of teams that had winning streaks, so it was kind of a big deal when we did have that happen, but we got on a little bit of a winning streak one time, and so our coach got a little bit, uh, essentially what he did, he started wearing the other team's colors on purpose to the game. And so every time he would wear the other team's colors to coach, we would win. 
And so then it became this huge process of trying to figure out what he could wear that matched what the other team was going to wear, which the other team probably was sure that we were mocking them. We weren't mocking them. We were just desperate for a win. Um, and so we, that, we went with that for a little while. I had a high school baseball coach who would always refer to us as men. Now, the problem with that is we weren't men. <laughs> we we were boys, and we thought we were men. We were boys. You know, we picked our nose. We ran to third base instead of first base. We didn't, have a, we didn't have a clue what we were doing. But when he spoke to us in the huddle on the sideline in high school, he would say, men, this is how we're going to live. And one of the things I learned from that coach in particular is he was involved in sports. He was involved in coaching because he wanted to develop people, not players. He saw his job as helping us go from people who ran to third base and picked our nose to men who were really going to live lives that mattered, live lives that made a difference. And so in order to get us there, he spoke directly to us as men. And there's something about that as a teenage guy. You're like, I want to do that. I, I want to be that. I want to be who this guy thinks I can be. And that opens up this huge conversation about how God uses recreation, sports, leisure to develop us, to grow us. And the neat thing about this is when you connect it back to the New Testament, the world of the New Testament, as the, as the church is growing and spreading, the Bible is being written, it's developing in a world where there's a lot of other people writing about the connection between athletics and personal moral development. You have people like Seneca and Plutarch and Aristotle and Epictetus, and you have all these moral philosophers, these people who are writing about the relationship of how athletics shapes our moral character. And there was a word that was a part of this, and it was the word gymnasium. Now, you may already know this, and in fact, you probably already do, but the word gymnasium is tied back to a word that has to do with training how shall we say this, without clothes. Um, it, it was an area in which young men would be trained for military life and civil life, and they would particularly focus on these guys who were about 15 to 20 years old. And there was a period of a young man's life that was called the Ephibaea. And it was a time where they would gather in areas like this. So this is a picture of a gymnasium. You think you had it bad at your gym. Here's their gym, uh, best, best you can see. There would be a field area where these guys would develop and go through these very intense physical trainings, but it would also be surrounded by these rooms, this colonnade, where they would gather for moral instruction, military instruction. Oftentimes these gymnasium weren't just athletic areas, they were social areas. They were places that would sometimes be surrounded by these ancient bathhouses that people would gather in. So in the ancient world, people were already tying together the idea of athletic development, developing these young men. When you look at this gymnasium and you think about it in the ancient world, honestly, our best contemporary connection is, is boot camp. That's essentially what they were going through. They were going through physical and personal development to grow as men to be ready for development. And I say men because it's an ancient world and that's who was involved in, in these developments. But the word gymnasium is tied to this idea of personal development. 
Here's the connection. The word gymnasium, not the word itself, but a form of that word shows up several times in your New Testament. And I want to show you this morning how that concept, the concept of gymnasium development, shows up in your New Testament, and, and moreover, what that has to do with our lives and how God wants to use that here in, in our lives. So go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, and I want us to walk through the places in the New Testament where we see that concept of gymnasium, of training, of what God wants to do in our lives. So we're going to go back to 1 Timothy 4, and we're going to start in verse 1 to kind of get, to get an approach on this. 1 Timothy 4 verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. And then verse 3 is the key here. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. There were false teachings that were being spread at this time, and, and the two key words there in verse 3 are the word forbid and the word require. People were coming around, and they were saying, if you really want to be a follower of Jesus, you're required to do these things, and you're forbidden from doing these other things, except the things referenced weren't anything to do with the teachings of Jesus or the teachings of the church. They were bringing in these other ideas and saying you can't eat these foods, you can't participate in these particular activities. If you do these things, you're not really a follower of Jesus. Well, you go to verse 4, and it says, you can come up here, buddy, that's okay. You're welcome up here. Um, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. So Paul comes along and says, no, don't reject these things that God has given you. Food, marriage, we're even inserting the idea of sports and leisure and recreation. These things that can be received with thanksgiving as gifts from God, receive them. Those are from God. You're not being required to abstain from those things. These are good gifts, but they're guided by the word of God and by prayer. Verse 6, if you put these things before the brothers... You will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Just for a second there, in in verse 6, the word trained in the English Standard Version that, that I'm reading from, almost every other version, if you have King James in front of you or New American Standard, New International, if you have a version like that, it will probably say nourished. And nourished is... It's a better option only because when you see the word train show up later, they're different words in Greek. And so nourished is a better idea right here, that you are going to be a servant of Christ Jesus, nourished. Think about athletics. You don't eat well. It's going to be hard to perform when you get on the field. Coaches care about what their players eat, how much they sleep, what kind of that preparation is tied into how you're going to perform in the game. And so Paul's saying you need to be nourished in the words of the faith and the good doctrine that you have followed. Take in the word of God. Take in the teachings of Christ. Take in this development that comes from good doctrine. This is what you need to eat in order to be able to do what comes next. What comes next in verse 7 is, 
have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. In other words, stop eating the junk food and eat what you need to eat. <laughs> You're eating all this junk food and it's impacting your performance on the field. Be nourished by what really is healthy, what really makes a difference. Verse 7, in the middle there, it says, Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Okay, here's where you get in your New Testament the word that's connected to our contemporary word, gymnasium. Up there, rather train, gymnazo, you can see where that, where that comes into play. For while bodily training, gymnasia, is of some value. This concept here that the people immediately would have known about. They lived in this world. They would have understand, oh yeah, I know what Paul's talking about. I've seen my son go through that type of training. I've seen my brother go through that type of training. I, I know what's going on here. This word is used in about four different places in, in the New Testament. One place that it shows up is in 2 Peter chapter 2. It's going to pop up here for you to see on the, on the top, because we're not going to spend a ton of time on this. But 2 Peter chapter 2, Paul, or not Peter, Peter is talking about false prophets, false teachers. So there's going to be a connection here back to 1 Timothy. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin, can't get enough of it, craving after it. They entice or, or pull away unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. They are accursed children. And you go back earlier in that chapter to 2 Peter 2, 3. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Here's what I want you to see first. You can be trained in the wrong way. You can be trained in the wrong direction. You're all, always training. <laughs> You're always being shaped by the things that you do. The dangerous training here, and this is on your notes. If you get a copy of the bulletin, you look on the back. This is where we kind of start to get into the outline. There's a dangerous type of training, and it's a training in greed. Kids, listen to me on this, because this impacts you guys in a big way. The way that greed works is you look at something and say, I really want that. I really not only want that, I need that. I'm greedy for that. The problem, the danger there, is the more you want something, the more you train yourself to say, not only want it, I need it, the more you think you need it. <laughs> and then the more you think you really need it, then it starts to become this vicious cycle that you almost can't get out of because you're training yourself, whatever I see, not only do I want it, but I need it, and I'm going to go get it. And before you know it, you've shaped your thinking, you've shaped your heart in such a way that greed begins to dominate your life. So there's a type of training that we do where we train ourselves to be greedy. And that's a dangerous road to go down because what we're being called to do here is not to be exploited with false words, but to be nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Don't be trained by greed, but be trained by godliness. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4 here. Verse 7. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Verse 8. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Okay. In the Bible, there's a dangerous form of training 
That's greed, where you, you're trained to become greedy. There is another type of training that's okay, but it's not ultimate, and it's this idea of bodily training. Up there on the screen, this idea of bodily training having some value, the reference to some value there is a time reference. It means it only has value for a certain amount of time. It only has value for this life. Ha being healthy is, is a matter of stewardship. Training your body is a matter of being a good steward of the body that God has given you. To just reject this body is to reject God's word and, and, and his hope for your life. And so Paul is not saying do whatever you want with your body. He's saying bodily training does have value. Pursue it. You're going to maximize your life for the kingdom? Train your body. You're going to make sure that you are seeking to be pure of mind and heart? Train your body. Training of the body is a good thing, but it's of limited value. And this is that tension we have to, we have to live in. Because on one side, we can become so obsessed with physical training, physical appearance, uh, being healthy. Being healthy is a good thing. It, it, in fact, it's a great thing. It's a way that you honor the Lord. But you have to be so careful because it can quickly become an idol, can't it? Um, and and you, can, you can be judgmental toward the person who's a glutton and have completely despised their body and, and said, it doesn't matter, I can do whatever I want. But at the same time, on the other side, you can turn health and fitness into an idol as well. And so Paul comes along, he says bodily training has value, but it has limited value. It's limited in time here. Parents, one of the things that we're, we're teaching kids, grandparents, one of the things you're teaching kids is just the value of putting limits on things. Uh, we've we've kind of navigated through this whole idea of kids' sports, and, and I sent out an email trying to think through some ideas of sports participation on Sunday and how much you do. One of the things you're doing for your kids is you're saying your sports have value. Your activities that you love to do outside of sports, those have value but they're limited value. You, you have to see that these things are, are only temporary. And so you're teaching them competition is good, things matter, act like it's important, but there are some things that matter more. And just getting into that mindset of realizing this is important, it has value, but it doesn't have ultimate importance, that shapes so much of our lives for how we're gonna live throughout our life. Things matter, some things matter more than others. This has limited value. What has ultimate value? Godliness. You look back there in verse 7 at the end. Train yourself for godliness. I want you to take care of your body. I want you to be involved in recreation. I want you to have hobbies. But what's it really all pointing at? Godliness. It's pointing at the idea I want to live. And this concept of godliness is important here. It's a godliness that pervades every area of our lives. I want you to live in godliness, and I want you to grow into more godliness. So where God has placed you, be in a godly place. Be in a place where you learn what this looks like, and then grow into it in every area of your life. You see this really start to show up here in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Timothy 4. Verses 9 and 10, it says, The saying is trustworthy 
and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have set our hope, we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. If you're here this morning with family or friends and, and you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a good opportunity for you to understand what we're talking about when we're talking about Christianity, what we're talking about when we're talking about following Jesus. Don't hear this morning this word about training, this word about hard work. Don't hear this this morning and say, well, if I ever get my life together, then I could follow Christ. What we're talking about is we are saved by the grace and mercy of God, and out of that, he trains us to be his people. It's not, I train myself and get my life together, and then God would accept me as being okay. It's, he is the Savior. He is the one who makes us right, who makes us godly, and then we learn to grow into that godliness. Made godly in Christ, learn to be trained and, and grow into this. You see this probably most clearly in Philippians chapter 2, um, and I may have written this out in full on your, on your notes there, but, but Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh man, that's a lot of work. Like, I, how? It is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's this tension in Christianity that is so hard to understand, but when you get it, it brings incredible freedom. I rest in Christ for salvation. Salvation comes from him alone. It's not anything I achieve. It's not anything I do. It is from him. I rest. I abide in Christ. Some people hear that and they say, well, that's lazy. Well, don't forget, there's the other side of it that says, and work out your salvation. When you abide in Christ, when you have that peace, it sets you free to do what God has called you to do. And so, saved, but saved in order to be trained, in order to grow. You saw it back there in First Timothy 4, specifically in verse 10. To this end, we toil and strive. There's a work, there's a development that God wants you to do. What does this look like? Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews is going to be over a couple of books to the right in your New Testament, but I want to show you I want to show you what this looks like when it's developed in, in a couple of different places in the book of Hebrews. And both of these places are going to have references to our gymnasium word. Uh, on your notes on the back, I've taken a page out of my wife's Bible teaching strategy, and I've put a couple of charts on here. Um, charts are great because they help you to kind of see how these verses are are lined out, and so on the back of your bulletin, if you got a copy of that, you see there's a couple of charts there that correspond to the two passages we're going to look at. But what we're trying to think here, here's what we're trying to think about. Okay, hope of salvation in Christ. I understand that. My confidence is in Christ. But I also need to be trained in godliness. I'm going to take care of my body, because that has value, but it has limited value. But I want to be trained to grow in godliness. How does that happen? What does that look like? Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11. The author of Hebrews in verse 11 says, About this we have much to say. What's this? 
Well, he's been developing an argument up to this point about a figure named Melchizedek, um, who is referenced in your Old Testament, and he's getting into some deep theological discussions with the people here. He's preaching this sermon, and it's getting to a pretty difficult time. He's probably about half the way through his sermon, maybe just a little bit less. Verse 11, it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. <laughs> in case you missed the, the humor in this, the, the author of Hebrews has just said what every pastor has always wanted to say but never had the guts to say it. Um, what I'm telling you here is really important. It's hard to explain, not because I can't explain it, but because you're not listening to it. Uh, you know, his strategy here, he doesn't really take the blame. He puts the blame right back on the, on the people here. And he specifically says, you have become dull of hearing. It doesn't have to do with your physical ability to hear. Some of you don't hear me on Sunday morning because you purposely turn your hearing aid off. Uh, that's not what he's talking about uh, here. He's talking about a word from, from the ancient world that had to do with being sluggish. And specifically, you find some ancient references where this word has to do with people who are out of shape. He's telling them, you can't hear what I want to speak into your life. You can't hear what God has for you because you're out of shape. You're, you're not in good physical condition. If you're not in good physical condition and someone asks you to come out and run a half marathon or a marathon, you're going to struggle. You're going to have trouble. You're going to get sluggish. And he says you can't hear what God has for you because you're dull of hearing, because you, you've become sluggish. What does he mean by this? Verse 12, by this time, you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Now, there's a reference in James chapter 3 in your New Testament that says not all of you should be teachers. Teaching is used in two different ways in the New Testament. There's the formal role of teaching, and James 3 says not all of you should be teachers. There's a type of teaching that not everyone is called to. But equally so in the New Testament, it said all of you should be teachers. You should be able to guide someone else to know and follow Christ. Not every one of you is called to be a coach, to be in charge of the team, but everyone is called to be able to coach someone else to live the Christian life. So there's a formal role that not everybody has, but then there's an informal calling that everyone has. And the writer of Hebrews here says, you should be able at this point to teach others, but you still need people to teach you. Now, hear this next part from me from, from a gentle pastor's heart and, and not a place of anger or, or frustration, anything like this, but, but hear me out. This right here is an absolute plague in Baptist churches in the southern part of the United States. Here's what I mean by this. You've gone to Bible study after Bible study after Sunday school class after Sunday school class, and you've maybe done it for decades. And yet, if you look deep within, you would say, I don't know that I could teach other people the basic things of Christianity. And, and the Bible's reference to that is, that's not a good place to be. There is a growth that needs to happen in our lives 
that we're not just taking this in or attending another Bible study or going to another group. At some point, you've got to be able to teach others. I'm not saying you have to be in charge of a class. I'm not saying you have to be able to stand up and, and give a lecture. But if you know and are developed and are trained by the things of God's word, the Bible says you should be able to turn around and teach someone else what that means and, and how to live it out. And so just take it as a soft rebuke, but I'm amazed sometimes about how people will say, well, I've gone to Sunday school for 30 or 40 years, and, and, and I just don't know that I could teach somebody else. Don't be happy about that. <laughs> take, take that as a challenge to say, no, I need to grow in this. I need to at least be able to turn around and share with someone else. We don't go to a class just to go to another class. We go to a class to be able to be developed and shaped in our lives and then to be able to turn around and, and share this with others. Because verse 13 says, or the end of verse 12 says, you actually still need milk. Not solid food. Once again, not a, not a positive reference. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. The word unskilled there is unpracticed. Here's the idea with unskilled. You receive the information and you never tried to live it out. Uh, so, so if Coach Jensen gathers his players for football practice, lectures to them, writes it up on the whiteboard, gives them a, a test, and says, hey guys, glad you came to practice. See you again tomorrow. Never touch the field. Never leave the locker room. He lectured to them. He spoke to them. And they never go out and do anything with it. They're unskilled. They, they've never taken what they received and, and lived it out. And the author of Hebrews is saying that's exactly what the problem is right here. And, and I would just say to us, that's exactly what the promise, problem is right here. We, we take in this, but we're unskilled in what to do with it. Verse 14, solid food is for the mature. For those, get this next phrase at the end of 14. For those who have their powers of discernment trained. There's our gymnasium word again. Trained, how? By constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Okay, there's two things going on right here. First is the idea of fundamentals. That phrase there that says, powers of discernment trained by constant practice, the phrase constant practice there is the word for habit. It's the word for building this constancy. It's this idea of developing the fundamentals. There was a guy at our high school who was uh, being recruited to play Major League Baseball out of high school. And one of the things that stood out to me about this guy, I was probably about an eighth grader. He was a senior in high school. We all looked up to him as a god uh, in high school. He was a godly man, though. Um, as a senior in high school, at lunchtime, when all the other kids were goofing around at their car or talking to a girl or just doing, you know what he was doing? He was outside hitting off a tee at lunchtime in high school because he couldn't hit off a tee? No, of course he could hit off a tee. He was there because he wanted to make sure he had the fundamentals down because, frankly, he was just more mature and better than, than the rest of us. He was developing those habits. He was developing those fundamentals so that when it came time for the game, he knew how to hit the ball. That's what we're called to in this passage. Mature believers consistently live out the spiritual disciplines. They build those habits into their lives that strengthen them so when they're put into a situation, they know what to do. 
prayer, study of God's word, gathering with God's people for worship, giving freely and joyfully of what God has given you. These basic spiritual disciplines, the more you do them, the more you train yourself to know how to respond when God puts you in a specific situation to respond. A couple of times recently I've heard coaches talk about that when they get players now out of high school, they run into one of two problems. Either these players have no formal training, so it's all playground ball, or worse yet, they've grown up in such a structured, protected environment that all they know how to do is what they're told to do. They've never played playground ball. They have no idea how to improvise. They've grown up in a structured thing where someone always told them to run this direction and do this, and you get someone who doesn't know how to do anything except what they're told to do, you can never improvise. You can never do anything. Here's the connection to church life. There's a development that God wants to do in our life where he builds this wisdom that gives us the discernment to know what to do. If you're always having to look to somebody else to say, what should I do in this situation? You haven't built up those powers of discernment, not in a prideful way, but a way of saying, you know what? I've been around the word of God. I've been around the people of God. You get put in a situation, you're not going to know what to do. Parents, grandparents, here's an extremely easy and extremely straightforward application of this idea right here. Your kids are going to go off, obviously. Your kids. <laughs> Just point all the fingers at myself. My kids are going to go off one day out of the house to college and all that goes beyond there. They're going to have to have the discernment between good and evil. They're going to have to be wise and know what to do in this particular situation without me being around. How do they know how to do that? Because they've grown up in the fundamentals day after day, week after week, year after year. One week of camp is not going to do that. One great experience in life is not going to do that. But when you are in the game when you are building the fundamentals, when you're developing these spiritual disciplines, what it does, it prepares you to know how to act when you're put into a situation that you don't have somebody directly around you to say, go do X, Y, and Z. And so, so this is what the author of Hebrews is exhorting the people toward. Let me show you where this leads in chapter 12, and then we're going to wrap up at that point. Turn over to chapter 12. I want you to see where this leads, um, where the author's argument is going. You get over to Hebrews chapter 12, and you get to verse 7. Verse 7 in, in chapter 12. It's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons or, or children of his. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Here's something really cool from, from your New Testament. That phrase, illegitimate children, in verse 8, is purposefully a word that's meant to sound like the word for out of shape or sluggish in chapter 5. The author uses two words that sound similar to draw them together. The ones who are not really sons, who are illegitimate sons, They've never been trained. They've never gone to practice. They've never been developed, and so they're sluggish. They don't know how to live. But what it says down there in verse 9 is, We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. 
shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a short time. Remember the phrase from 1 Timothy 4? Same idea, for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But God disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained. There's our gymnasium word again. Those who have been trained by it. The discipline of God is meant to grow us into the holiness of God. Now, hear me out just for a minute on this idea of God's discipline. Sometimes we think that every time a bad thing happens in our life, it's that God's angry at us and disciplining us. Don't, don't associate discipline in that sort of way. Now, yes, God never wastes an experience in our life. And yes, God will allow you to go through some very difficult experiences because of the way that those things grow you. And yes, those difficult things will, will get your attention. But know that God disciplines us in a lot of different ways, and he doesn't, he doesn't discipline us as an out-of-control, wrathful father. And verses like this in Hebrews 12 can be particularly difficult if you grew up in a situation where you suffered abuse uh, because you begin to associate that abuse with this discipline that God is talking about here, and those are not, not the same categories. This is simply a father who says, I'm not going to let you eat junk food and hang around the house all day. You're going to get your act together because there are things that you need to be doing that can only happen if you get in the game. And if you start to work out and you start to develop these habits and you start to do these things I've called you toward, what does this point us toward? What this points us toward is the true, full Christian life. The true, full Christian life is not found in laziness and boredom. It's not found when we do our own things for our own purposes. It's not found when you just sit in a class and continue to receive the same material over and over again. It's when you say, God, I believe that in Christ I have salvation, but I also believe you want to train me, and I also believe you want to grow me, and I want to see what happens when your spirit works within my life. Let me give you a couple of questions to wrap up with here. Am I a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ? Establish that. This is not earning your salvation. This is as a child of God through Christ. How does he want to work in my life? Is my Christian life lazy or disciplined? Where are you? Are you taking in milk? Or are you taking in solid food? Are you needing to be teached? Teached. <laughs> are you needing to be taught? Or are you able to turn around, able to be teached? I obviously need to be teached. Uh, are you able to be taught? Are you able to turn around and teach others? Is there a pattern of growth? When someone looks in your life, do they see a development and a growth between, toward wisdom and fruitfulness? And then finally, are you hurting? If so, God loves you. He's not only present with you in the hurt, but he's going to use that experience for your growth. God does not want to leave you where you are. He wants to grow you into godliness and holiness and wisdom and fruitfulness by the power of his spirit. Would you bow your heads with me? We're gonna sing through a song here in just a moment. 
It's a song I have decided to follow Jesus. That's what you're being called to. That you would stand and sing this song with all your heart. That if you know you've grown lazy and sluggish and you are out of shape and God is calling to something more, that you would come up here to the front for prayer. That right where you are, as you've seen the song, that you would commit yourself to the Lord fully. Don't remain right where you are. When you're out of shape, it is hard to get back into shape. I understand that. But God wants to train you. He wants to grow you, and he wants to work through your life. He has so much more that he desires to do in and through you. It does not matter your age. It doesn't matter your situation. He is at work in your life. Use this morning, before you leave, use this morning to commit yourself fully to him. Father, we give ourselves to you at this time as we sing together, as we pray together, as we commit ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.